Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. Our scripture passage for today is from Exodus. Exodus 3, 1 to 6. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning. My name is Paul Hahn on the Church Start resident here at Urban Village Church, and I spend most of my time at our Wicker Park site. I am uh, a Michigander. Uh, I know uh, Alan and I, we are actually from the same conference of the United Methodist Church. I've been a pastor in the United Methodist Church for, I think this is year 13 going on. And uh, I'm spending my year here in Chicago with you all and to learn about what it means to be a church that's bold, inclusive, and relevant, doing an urban ministry, doing a church that uh, focuses on diversity, being anti-racist, social justice, all of those great things. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily uh, something that only Urban Village Church is doing, but something that a, ch- a church that is growing and thriving here in an urban context. So uh, wh- even though this is my first time at Andersonville, um, it's your strength, it's your energy, it's you as the church that's reaching really far and wide, not just in Andersonville, not just in Chicago, but even where uh, Alan and I are from in Michigan. So uh, I just want to thank you for having me here this morning. Uh, would you join me in a word of prayer? God, we give you thanks for this morning, for gathering us together whether it's by coincidence or coercion or intention that we are here, we ask that your spirit would move in this place. We ask that your spirit would open our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears. As we investigate this ancient but familiar story, help us to see how it's relevant, see how it's actually our story here and now today. And so we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So we're in a new sermon series that we just started last week called Naked, Getting Vulnerable with God. 
And our hope is that in this season of Lent, that we would be able to cultivate a life of prayer. Uh, Pastor Brittany shared last week that a life of prayer is a shared life with God. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well and sort of expand upon what that idea is. But if you are joining us for the first time today and you missed last week's message and you haven't heard it, I highly encourage you to check it out on the podcast. And you can uh, check out not only the Andersonville message, but the message from all the other sites. Uh, Today, I want to share two stories. Just two stories. The first story is from our scripture reading, and the second story is from my own experience. And I want to talk about what it means to have a shared life with God as we cultivate vulnerability. Now, uh, whether you are a Bible veteran or you uh, saw the Ten Commandments starring Charlton Heston, uh, or if you're a little bit younger, you're more familiar with the animated film The Prince of Egypt, Uh, You've probably heard about Moses. You've probably heard about the uh, parting of the Red Sea and the story of Exodus. Actually, there is a movie with Christian Bale that came out uh, last year, so I didn't see that one, so I can't speak to that one. But you're probably familiar with the story of Moses. And our scripture reading today talks about his encounter with the burning bush. Now, what's really important to note is that Moses' encounter with the burning bush happens around the midpoint of his life. And so there's a lot of story, even though in the Bible it's only about a chapter, there's a lot that goes on in the first half of his life that leads up to the point of the burning bush. And if we don't really investigate what happened in his first half of life, then we kind of miss the significance and the power of Moses' encounter at the burning bush. And so I want to quickly recap and profile the life of Moses. Especially for those, if you're not churched, then Moses' story might be a little unfamiliar to you. Moses was born in Egypt. He was born a slave. And at the time, the Pharaoh wanted all the male babies of slaves to be killed to prevent future uprising. And so Moses' family devises this plan to save his life. They put him inside of a basket made of reeds, and they cover it with tar and pitch, and then they send him down the river with the hope that somebody from Pharaoh's household will see the baby floating in a river and spare that baby's life. Now, to me, it sounds like a crazy plan. And if you saw Prince of Egypt, the animated movie, there's like boats and crocodiles like on the river. Um, It sounds like insanity. But the plan works. And Moses, he is rescued by the daughter of Pharaoh. And while Moses is raised by his family, when he is older, he grows up as one of the sons of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, he gets, to, he gets to have one foot in each world. He gets to understand sort of his Hebrew heritage as a slave, but he gets all the power, the privilege, and the wealth of what it means to live in the palace of Pharaoh. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit too. One day, Moses, he witnesses an Egyptian abusing one of the Hebrew slaves. Now, I'm sure there's all kinds of inner turmoil and conflict going on inside of him. And Moses, thinking that nobody is looking, kills that Egyptian and then buries him. 
thinking that nobody had found out. But actually, some of the Hebrew slaves did see. And when they call Moses out on it, he becomes afraid. He starts panicking. He doesn't know what to do. And so he takes off. He runs away. He leaves his family behind, his people behind. He leaves Egypt behind. And he goes to the land of Midian. He meets and marries a nice girl and becomes a shepherd for the next 40 years. Now, 40, it's, it's not a literal 40 years, but it just means a really, really long time. Now I imagine if Moses is anything like me, you get married, you move away to a new land, and you're there for decades, uh, you, you live in relative comfort. You don't have to think about the life that you left behind because you're creating a new life. And it's very easy to um, just put that past behind you. Until one day, off in the distance, he notices something strange, and he goes to investigate, and he finds a bush, and it's burning, it's on fire. But curiously, the bush is not consumed, it's just on fire. It's like one of those fake fires, those fake fireplaces, you know, where uh, it's like a, a screen, and then like, you know, the flames are waving, but the log isn't burning. And so Moses wonders, what's going on? And then he hears the voice of God. And God says, Moses, take off your sandals, for you are on holy ground. This is, this is the familiar story. Now, when I first heard this story um, as an Asian American, if you couldn't tell I'm Asian American, right? Um, specifically Korean American, when I first heard this story, it made sense to me. Why? Because we always take our shoes off when you go into someone's house. And so I was like, yeah, well, of course, if you're going to like God's holy ground, you got to take your shoes off. Duh. You know? And then it made me think about, well, think about, oh, all those people that keep their shoes on in the house. So it made sense to me. But that's not what this was about. It wasn't about that. What was the significance of taking his sandals off? As I think about Moses' entire life, and I think about the, the significant markers in his life, as I think about all the significant um, points and changes and acts that Moses had, I think, this is my take, I think Moses was a man who experienced deep pain from the time he was born all the way up to that point at the burning bush. I think he experienced a deep wound, as Richard Rohr would say, something very early on in his life. He was never able to really pinpoint and put his finger on it. And what he did for his entire life was he developed all these defense mechanisms, not really understanding what his great pain was, but he developed these defense mechanisms so that he would not have to actually address and deal with that deep pain within his life. And so I think about the fact that he was Hebrew, but he was raised in the house of Pharaoh. So he learned how to wear different masks. If you're an immigrant or you're the child of an immigrant in this country, you kind of know what I'm talking about. Because at home, you speak one language. And then when you go to school and work, you speak another language. And so you know how to, you know how to navigate both worlds. And it's kind of a weird place to be. Here's the interesting thing. While Moses also benefited from slavery, he also realized that his family was a slave. That's a weird place to be in. 
He gets to eat all the cool food, wear all the cool clothes, live in uh, luxury and comfort. But he's benefiting off the slavery of his own people. That's a weird place to be in. And so when he witnesses an Egyptian abusing this Israelite, he lashes out in frustration and anger to the point where he murders this person. He acts out in violence. And when his violence doesn't actually solve anything, he goes to his next defense mechanism, and that's to run away. And when he's run away for 40 years, he's able to exhibit another defense mechanism, and that's living in denial. I'm not Hebrew. I'm not Egyptian. I'm not a slave. I'm not an oppressor. I'm just a simple shepherd living my life. So when God asked Moses to take off his sandals, I think God is saying, I need your bare feet to touch the ground. But I think it's more than just the sandals. I think the sandals are symbolic. The sandals represent that which protects himself from touching reality. Now, in, in, some Hebrew scholars believe that the term uncovering your feet in the Old Testament is a euphemism for uncovering your genitals. Now, um, and I don't know if I'm making too far of a stretch, but the concept is uncover your feet. It's this idea that God wants Moses to be exposed and God wants Moses to be vulnerable. You have spent your entire life running and fighting and protecting yourself and developing all these ways that you don't have to deal with your deep, deep pain. But right now, here in this place, I need you to get real. No more barriers. What was Moses' deepest pain? What was the thing that drove him his entire life? The fact is that Moses was a slave. And I think that was so deeply embedded into who he was, even though he realized that he was a slave, I don't think he quite processed it. I don't think he processed the ramifications of that. And I think it was so deeply embedded within him that it forced him to act out in violence, it forced him to escape, it forced him to live in denial, and de develop all these ways where he would protect himself from having to deal with that core issue. And so God says, take off your sandals. I need you to get real. I need you to get vulnerable. Last week, um, Pastor Brittany shared a definition of prayer from her former professor, Roberta Bondi, uh, who said that prayer is a shared life with God. And so having a shared life with God, it doesn't necessarily mean that you spend your, all your days on your knees locked in prayer, right? It doesn't mean that you have to verbalize prayer. But it means that you share space. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, you may have those relationships in your life where you don't have to put up a front with that other person. It might be a romantic partnership. It might be a friendship. It might be a kinship like family members. But there's that person where you don't have to put up a front. Uh, you don't have to put on the makeup. You, don't, you can wear the comfy, ugly pants when you're around them. It's okay if you like fart in front of them. It's okay. You can be silly. 
Uh, you're not afraid to dance or sing in front of them because they're not going to judge you. You're just totally at peace and comfortable with this individual. You're open and you're vulnerable. Those relationships, oh, those relationships are important because they allow us, they allow us to be open and free and to be comfortable. Because why? Putting up a front, exhibiting defense mechanisms, it's tiring. It's exhausting. But when you're with those people where you can just share your life with, it recharges us. So what does it mean to be vulnerable with God? It means that when we are with God, it means that we exhibit that same kind of a relationship. There's no posturing. You don't have to use the right words when you pray. You don't have to say a specific incantation. You just get real. And you don't have to, you don't have to be perfect and awesome before God. You say, God, this is, this is just where I am. And when we're vulnerable with God, I think then and only then can we begin to address our deepest hurts, our deepest pains. So, um, you know, what's interesting, whenever I read the Bible, I think, this is not just a story about people back then. This is actually our story. You and I and every single person that we know, um, Moses' story is actually our story as well. Because whether we want to admit it or not, each and every one of us is born into Egypt as well. The Hebrew word for Egypt is uh, Mitzrayim, and it means two things. It means, uh, uh, it means a place between two rivers, but it also means a narrow place. Now, the ancient uh, Israelites, when they said a narrow place, they interpreted that to mean a place where you are pressed really closely together, a place where you're crushed, a place of oppression. They understood Egypt to be more than a geographical location. They understood that Egypt was an idea. Egypt was the idea that those who are in power will crush those who don't have power. And you and I were all born into Egypt because we were born into the Egypt, the system of oppression of sexism, racism, heterosexism, cisgenderism, able-bodyism, ageism, and there's a lot of isms. And unless you are somehow at the cream, cream of the crop, you're like way up at the top, and you're benefiting from all the powers of oppression, and I just kind of look around this room, not all of us are, we experience that Egypt, we experience that oppression. If you've ever felt like you're out of place, if you've ever felt like you don't quite fit in, if you ever felt like you're a square peg trying to be shoved into a round hole, then you know what I'm talking about. And whether we can say, that's exactly what's hurting me. That's what's actually killing me deep down inside. We all live it. And God is speaking to every single one of us here. God wants to get at to the heart of each of our issues. But it's not going to happen unless we take our sandals off. It's not going to happen when we're angry and we're dismissive and we say, everything is fine. It's when we're able to say, okay, God, I'm totally naked with you. I need you to do some work within me. I want to share the second story, and uh, it's from my own life. 
six or seven years ago, I was working as a youth pastor in a church in Michigan. It was a big church. I think the Sunday youth service alone was like 180 to 200 kids every Sunday. So it's, it's a big church. And it, being that big, it was really hard for me to get to know all of the kids in the youth group. One day, one of my friends comes up to me and tells me that one of my students is spreading a rumor about me. And it's one of those rumors that even if it's not true, if it gets embedded into people's ears, at best it'll get you fired, and at worst it's just a career ender. It's one of those like criminal rumors. And um, I was like, what? It's totally not true. But I got really angry. Basically, my first response was to find this kid and strangle the life out of him. Uh, and then I realized that's not pastoral. That'll really get me fired. Um, and so I, I just sort of sat with it, not really knowing how to confront and address this issue. Because if you've ever worked with teenagers, or if you remember back when you were a teenager and an authority figure confronts you about something, the response you're typically going to get is, I don't know what you're talking about. You know? So I sat with it for a couple weeks, actually. Um, and then I thought, you know what, as long as I don't have to see this kid, this is the benefit of working at a mega church, then it's okay. Then it'll just, the rumor will dissipate. And you know, it's strange that whenever you try to avoid somebody, you keep running into them. And so I would keep seeing this kid in the hallway at church. I'd keep running into him at the gym and the cafeteria. And, and so then I, like Moses, I sort of went into this denial mode that, ah, whatever, I'm sure it's a rumor of a rumor, I'm sure he didn't say anything, like, whatever. I tried to forget all about it. Uh, one Sunday after church, uh, I packed up my bags and I was on my way to go home. And I was walking past the sanctuary and I look inside and I see that this kid is sitting in the sanctuary by himself. And immediately my chest tightened. Like, uh, I'm a sweater. So when I get anxious, I just start sweating from my forehead and my armpits. Sorry if that's too much information, but I just tensed up. And I thought, he's by himself, so let me go talk to him. And so without even any sort of uh, formulated plan in my mind, I walk into the sanctuary. I timidly walk up to this guy. Timidly, he's like 95 pounds, like five foot one. And I sort of offer the pastoral olive branch. It's like totally not real, but you know, pastors have to do it anyway. I'm like, hey, I just wanted to say, I don't know if I did anything to offend you, but if I did, I'm sorry. Like, what's going on, man? The response that I got back from him totally blew, blew me away. He looks me straight in the eye and he says, um, he's like, actually, you did nothing wrong. Um, I totally made up this lie because I wanted to hurt you. And um, I'm sorry. At that moment, suddenly my, uh, the, all the tension within my chest, it just kind of opened up and released. And suddenly we were standing on holy ground, me and this teenager. And it was holy ground, not because we were in the sanctuary of the church. We were in holy ground because, unexpectedly, this young man, he, he, just, he just came clean. And he said, look, um, I, was, I just, you know, made this up. I'm sorry. 
I hope we can make amends. And he was really open and vulnerable. I totally expected some teenage lie or some BS. And we didn't get that. And when you experience that holy ground and you experience that vulnerability, I bet for him, not only for me, but for him too, there is a sense of freedom. There is a sense of liberation. There is a sense of, ah, the story gets even better. Fast forward six, seven years uh, to a couple months ago, actually. I'm here living in Chicago, working at Urban Village Church, and I get a message on my phone from the same kid. He's now a young man living and working in Chicago. I probably spoke to him maybe once or twice in the last six, seven years. And he says, hey, I want to catch up with you. And yeah, sure. And so we go to some crappy taco joint in Rogers Park or something, and we're just catching up. And he says, hey, do you remember back then um, when, I, uh, when I spread that rumor about you? And I was like, yeah. He says, it's, t- it's taken me a couple of years to process, but I finally figured out why I did that. He said, I was angry at you. I was mad at you. He says, I was mad at you because... Uh, whenever I would hear you preach and you would talk about all the cool stuff that you used to do with your old youth group kids, like back in New York, he said, I got so jealous because I always wanted to have that kind of a relationship with my youth pastor. And being at this huge church where everyone is just a face in the crowd, he said, you just never seem to have enough time to spend not only with me, but with all the kids in that sort of really deep, authentic, connected sort of way. And he said, I I was just so jealous, I was so angry at you, and I just couldn't think of anything other than to find a way to just hurt you. He said, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. Because at the core of what this young man, what he really wanted, he wanted to be loved. That was it. At at the core of of what was going on within his heart. And it came out in all kinds of nasty different ways. But there in that taco joint, he just laid it all out. And again, we were standing on holy ground. This time in a taco joint, because why? He chose to just share and be open with me. And in that moment... I realized something about myself. When I first heard that rumor and I just wanted to strangle the life out of him, I realized that my response, I I was so angry at, at this guy, not because of the gravity of what he said, but I realized too that as a young pastor, I just wanted to be loved. And the idea that one of my congregants didn't like me and love and support me unconditionally, oh man, that hurt like 35 and I still feel that way. I want everyone to love me, right? Because sometimes when people are vulnerable with you, it allows us to be vulnerable as well. And so I shared that with him. And I was like, man, I'm sorry. And, and I think that's what that holy ground is. It's a place where we have a shared life with God, but it's a shared life of vulnerability. When we experience that, then I think God can really begin the process of working, of healing, of bringing restoration. 
going to close with one last thought. Um, this uh, life of uh, vulnerability, it's totally scary. And you have, to, you have to be careful who you're vulnerable with. Because some people will, uh, are predatory and they will totally abuse your vulnerability. And so you have to be careful. Vulnerability is scary and dangerous. And I think that's why Moses experienced this vulnerability through the image of the burning bush. Now, scholars have you know, contemplated what the burning bush is for millennia. Here's my take on the burning bush. Fire in the Old Testament was always a powerful, uh, destructive, and purifying agent. Fire was always used to kind of like destroy that which is evil and to purify that which is pure even more. And this fire, it's dangerous, and it's burning this bush. And so Moses can see this, that this fire is, is dangerous. But this fire is different from all the other fires in Scripture, because while it may be a purifying fire, it is not a destructive fire. And that's what vulnerability is. It's scary. It strips all the layers away. But it will not destroy you. But we can only do that um, when we take our sandals off. Please join me in prayer.